Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, hello. How are you doing? Welcome back to the Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast. Guess who's here? Guess who's here? I'm not even going to waste any time. I'm not even going to mess with it. We're going to jump into this episode because it is a big, big, fantastic episode. Are you ready for this, folks? The man himself, Mr. Pete Dorr, is joining me on this episode. Pete. Oh, I got this. Uh, hold on. There we go. Like old times. <laughs> Boy, it's been a bit. It's good to catch up with Jason, talk to you again. Uh, just so people know, like it, it has actually been a very long time since we've sat down like this and done a podcast-style episode together, so this is going to be fun. Absolutely. I was just thinking about this the last time. The last time I actually saw you in person when we were hanging out was Portland Retro Gaming Expo. And I'm fuzzy on the year, but I think Are it was... Are sure it wasn't Game On Expo? I think, oh, it would have been Game On of the same year, though. 2016. I think. Wow. Because remember, we did Portland before. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, no. No, because that's in October. Shit, now now I'm confused. (laughs) Caught you off guard there. I have a picture, though, Pete. I I wish I could have had it here to show everyone. I have a picture of you when we were hanging out. Remember, you bought all these games, and you had your suitcase. And we're out. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the show when they're kicking everyone out here we are loading up stephanie and i were loading up our car because we had a booth there right so we're loading the car in and i was like yeah i'll give you a ride pete where you know back to your hotel where we need to go you had a suitcase but you had it completely filled to the brim <laughs> of games like they were like dude oh, it, it was like a puzzle it was like the perfect puzzle oh shoot wait were you there the night when i had to go I, gamester brought me to the airport and I remember, I don't remember if you were there or not. It was so funny. It's a similar thing where I literally could not fit my shit in my suitcase. Yes, yes. I had, I had to give Gamester yes. controllers and games to ship to me when I got back home. Yes, I do remember that. Absolutely. I think you even left a few things for me to ship to you, too, if I recall. I think you had a few things in the car. Who knows? I mean, yeah. Well, you got a little bonus game or something. I, don't know. I, I, I thought I sent them to you. Maybe, I don't know. They got lost. Uh, probably. In it. <laughs> it's been so long, Jason. I yeah, it's okay. <laughs> eBay, the eBay people who bought it, don't, don't, don't write in, don't write in. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, but it's, it's good to have you. I think, um, we've been talking about this for a long time. wanted to get you on the show, but just in general, this is just two good friends sitting down, reconnecting and chatting and I have no idea how long the show is going to be. I don't really care. Uh, we're going to just talk and have fun talk about some things, uh, talking about, uh, this is the, like a big moment. So what happened recently, Pete, and I want, to, I want to bring up what we're going to be talking about here is we're going to talk about kind of the retrospective of gaming within the last 10 years. That is a broad topic, and we're not going to cover it in great detail. We're going to kind of overview and just talk about our, some of our memories because we, we've lived it. You know, All of us out there playing gamers, we've lived it. But we're going to talk about that sort of thing. But recently, I did a 10-year retrospective video here on the, on the show, and I basically condensed 10 years of my life, the last 10 years, into about four hours of a show. Mm. And it was crazy to do that. Like, it was very emotional. Like, literally, I, like in the show, like, I was crying. I was laughing. I was happy. Like, there was a lot of crazy moments. Those moments included so many great things from our past. You included, of course, All Gen Gamers podcast, the YouTube, YouTube videos, and, and being part of the YouTube retro gaming community back in the day the birth of podcasting and, and us pioneering gaming podcasts. 
us moving into from Justin TV to Twitch TV to to live streaming games. Remember when people didn't live stream games? Really, it was just like IRL oh, shit. You. If you live stream games back in the day, like on Justin TV, you were seen as some sort of like wizard. It's like, how are they pulling this off? Because don't forget back then, OBS didn't exist. XSplit didn't exist. Right. Cap- capture cards essentially almost didn't exist. They didn't exist. Like a Dazzle yeah. or a Hophog. Oh, God, a Dazzle. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I that's forgot. what I used to stream on. Those are my early streams. Dude. A Dazzle with composite. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And it looked terrible. But again, when people would come through, you're right. They would say, how did you do this? How did you get the the game? How are you playing it? Is it a video? No, it's me playing. How did you get? It? Yeah, and it was like almost like a tech session. Essentially, you would be streaming side by side next to somebody that's like sleeping in their bed, literally <laughs> like a camera set up, watching them lay in bed sleep. Yeah, the weird days of Justin TV, and then like next to that would be somebody doing, uh, you know, like a talk show or something. Or that's so and weird. then there would just be me, which is the origins of my old name before I changed it on Twitch. Like on Justin TV, I called myself Pete's Game Room because mm-hmm. back then I needed a way to let people know that I was streaming video games. Games, yeah. So make my name Pete's Game Room instead of Pete Door. They're just gonna think I'm some guy sitting in my bedroom or something. Yeah. Let, let them know I'm a game streamer. Yeah. Yeah, the early days. Man, I used to watch this channel where it was just a picture. I said this early in another episode. It was a camera set up in like a, an apartment looking at an, a four-way intersection in San Francisco. And you'd see all kinds of weird stuff going on there. Like drunk people running across the street, like cars hitting each other, like people yelling at four in the morning. Like before what we know today... This was the early days of streaming, and I know it's crazy, and yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. I bring all this stuff up, though. I bring all this up, and I say this to, to you, the listener, because most people who listen to this show, anyway, know about me, know about you, but a lot of people actually don't, and I think that's really great, because... That just means that there's a whole new generation of gamers, of tech people, of, of, of artists, of content creators, of people who are creative listening to stuff that are now being introduced to, to this. Like they don't know about the legacy of like what we've created in the internet. It sounds weird to say it, but like we've been doing it so long and that's why like I feel like I need to like reintroduce Pete Dore, you know, like reintroduce yeah. Jason Heine to people. Like this is, this is so special. Like it's a special moment. And so, yeah, man, we, we've done a lot of really cool things for so many years. And I just think it's really cool that we can sit here today and have a conversation and talk and talk about it. The, the evolution of content creation and also the evolution of ourselves as individual content creators. Is oh, totally. Quite interesting how things have changed. Yeah. 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 Like for people that don't know our relationship, I guess they should know that we originally met each other essentially back in 2010 when you had joined YouTube. And then right before that, we were, I had come up with the idea to make a podcast amongst a couple of good friends on YouTube at the time, which were Gamester81 and uh, Johnny Millennium Happy Console Gamer. We're like, yeah, let's do a podcast. And then a couple of episodes in, um, I believe, how did it go? Gamester introduced you to us, or you introduced yourself to Gamester for the podcast? How did that go? Um, so Gamester and I, I how, how did it go? Gamester wrote to me because he saw that I was from Arizona. And he was like, hey, another Arizona gamer, right? Like, oh, you know, 
that's pretty cool. There wasn't a whole lot of us around, you know? And then we found out, long story short, as we were, as we were talking, found out that like, oh yeah, we live in the same city. Wow, trippy. We should go to a game store sometime. Then he goes, well, where are you exactly? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm off this street. He's like, well, I'm off that street. I'm like, wait, are you in this neighborhood? He goes, dude, I'm in that neighborhood. We found out we were neighbors. It's pretty crazy. Crazy. So then, <laughs> so then he goes, look, I have a podcast. I go, I know. I, li- I listen to it. All Gen Gamers. He goes, you got to come on the show. I said, fantastic. I'd love to be a guest. But then, then that whole thing transpired. I'm listening to it and I'm going, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> audio quality was pretty janky. Me being the audio guy, I was tripping because I'm like, oh my God. And I watched you before. I've watched Happy Console. I've watched Gamester. And I, I love and appreciated you all. And I'm like, look, I got to help these guys out. I got to help these guys out. And that's how the whole thing came to be. Remember, I, remember when I, I sent in a voicemail to you guys talking about it and i originally wasn't even wanting to be on the show i just said look i'll just be your producer let me record it edit it and do that for you that's how that's how it happened then we had jason on and we found out that he was a perfect fit for the show with all of us and our personalities and history from there pretty much the rest is history yeah episode six actually good times good times yeah and then that that podcast really went on to pioneer so many things we had well, set- we should reiterate, there, there were gaming podcasts before ours, but there were not many retro-focused, collecting-focused podcasts. Definitely not, yeah. We, we were essentially, to my knowledge, one of the, probably one of the first three, because I don't want to like claim, yeah, we were the first, because I'm pretty sure we weren't, but we were one of the very first gaming, retro-focused, collecting podcasts right. that focused on the, the hobby of collecting video games. Everybody else is like, yeah, let's talk about the new game that's out. And yeah, this is my review. But we were like, yeah, let's talk about the actual hobby of collecting, the art of collecting, the passion of collecting. And uh, inspired so many other people to get into podcasting. And podcasting is way different today. That's for sure. Totally. Totally different. It's like a vast sea of any podcast you want. It's out there. And it's all. In the day, there weren't very many. Yeah, there really wasn't. I know IGN was doing one, and wasn't Classic Game Room Undertow, or weren't they doing something as well at the time? They they probably were, yeah. They were a couple of... Uh, They're one of the OGs, old, too. Yeah, a couple of OG podcasts back then. Te- you were talking 10 years ago, I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't I remember really what I did last everybody. week, you know? <laughs> but I remember it was, be- it was very surreal when we used to look on iTunes, and it would be like top podcasts in the gaming section, and we'd be right next to like IGN. Dude, I know. GameSpot. It's like, holy crap. I know. I know. And it's what's nuts about that. And it's it was kind of, I mean, it was definitely unbelievable at the time, but also looking back at it now and seeing what's happening like today where like MP, we we just talked about it a little bit off camera before, but like I, I get messages easily weekly. If, if not every couple of maybe two or three days where someone's asking about all gen gamers and like, People say, hey, I've just discovered all gen gamers. I've just, you know, like it was crazy to go back. In fact, dude, real quick, I had an audio caller last week or two weeks ago send me a voicemail saying, I was, I went back to all gen gamers. I just scrolled through the whole list and I picked a random episode to listen to see what you guys were talking about. He picked an oh, episode. <laughs> yeah, that can, that can get careful. a little tricky. <laughs> you got to be careful. He picked an episode where we were talking about games that came out that were anticipated, but reviewers like 
talk shit about or reviewers hated, but we actually liked them. And I was talking about Duke Nukem Forever, talking about, I said, like, it's fucking Duke Nukem. It's, a, it's Duke. It's, of course, it's not going to be amazing. Like, what do you guys expect? Like, I was trying to give the game credit where it's an okay game. It's not like the worst game I've ever played. You know what I mean? But so he was listening to that. And then I did an episode. The last episode I did was I was talking exactly about that. Like, it was weird that he like went back and forth. So the fact that people are still going back to all gen gamers and picking episodes and listening to them, I just, I, I think that's beautiful. I really do. And the fact that they're still out there, you know, at least Even the last, maybe a little archaic to find. Uh, yeah. They're still there if you want them. Yeah. Um, and man, they, I was scrolling through the list not long ago and looking at some of the, the descriptions of our episodes. And I'm <laughs> like, wow, that was a wild podcast. Let me tell you some of the things we talked about but anyway that's just our just for anybody that may not know yeah uh the origins of jason and i yeah we go back back definitely definitely yeah i I think it's good it's good to kind of like reintroduce people to it uh and let them know and that's the reason why we're still here today um just make sure you start from episode one don't work your way back from new episodes (laughs) because there's a lot of in jokes in that podcast yeah you really are gonna yeah that's a great call you really need to do that so you understand what the hell we're doing very a lot true. of references and in jokes to old episodes, but I think that's kind of what made our podcast feel very natural. I, I don't know what the right word is. Natural and building of like a legacy of this like episode. It's like a TV show. It's like okay, episode one is still connected to episode two hundred because we're still referencing weird things that happened in like episode thirteen, for example. Yeah, and if you didn't start from the beginning, you're not going to know the strange stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. And I know when sometimes people come through and they like the animal references like the, the whale and mortal farm bat and all these weird things. Just my mind's blowing with all this stuff. You know, you thinking like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, what is this stupid shit? But it was hilarious for the, like during the show. Like you just dude, you just I was crying. I, I was crying laughing so many times in that show. So, yeah, encourage you all to, to definitely go back. But again, go go listen to that stuff but also continue to follow and support and 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 be a part of the stuff that we're still doing that's what i always try to bring attention to it's like look that changed a lot of stuff that was amazing but we're here still doing stuff and i think that's again it's very very beautiful and i just again pete thank you for joining me i appreciate you being here yeah yeah definitely it's good to catch up with you um let's talk about and we already have started, but let's talk about kind of the landscape of entertainment. I think doing some sort of overview on the, the last 10 years of gaming and many, many forms here, it's quite interesting when you really break it down. We already talked about Twitch a little bit and Justin TV, something that you and I both do currently, still very much into that. But the landscape of YouTube, let's just take YouTube. I mean, goodness, you could do a whole episode on this. Back in the day, YouTube was not what YouTube is today. Hands down. We had a very small community of gamers that was really kind of your own clique of retro gaming. But instead of a high school clique where it's like different cliques, it was one big clique. Yeah. And it was not only popped up. Everybody knew that person. Yep. It's like, oh, look, this new, new person's making videos about their collection. Everybody knew. Yeah. Nobody was unknown. Everybody knew one another. And we all went to those channels and we all were in the comment section. We're all like, dude, awesome. 
awesome. And then they would come to ours and it was like a family. I know it's, I know it's, it's probably mind blowing for people to even think about this, but it really was. It was a small group of family community in there. And it was so awesome, man. I miss it. It was so awesome. Want me to bring back a memory that a lot of people probably forgot about. Remember video responses? Oh, geez. Instead of being able to leave a reply as a comment, you'd be able to leave a reply as an actual video. Oh my gosh. So you would upload a little, like you would, you would pose a question, right? And I used to do these as, as did many people. It's like, yeah. Oh, what's your favorite game published by Atlas? And then you'd get like 20 small little one or two minute video responses where people would upload their response to you. And it was just such a great community building. Why did those go away? I love those. I don't know. YouTube's trying to make it so that like everybody's just, they do their own thing and that's it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Go back and watch any of our videos from 2010, 2011. If we're doing like an unboxing or uh, games we picked up recently or like a community type video, guaranteed we said, leave a video response. Guaranteed. <laughs> There's a lot of re- like leave a five star rating or whatever, you know, weird features that they've got oh shit that's right they had wait they had a star rating no likes and unlike yeah used to be able to leave people one to five stars for the video i totally forgot about that wow i remember a lot of people were upset about it too when they first took that away you remember the old youtube pages where you you used to be able to customize your page it was like a myspace page essentially i do you'd be able to change the background the colors everything and now it's just like a boring white page with a banner for everybody. Yeah, and they tell you the exact banner size and got to make it format all weird and shit. Yeah, I do. I do. I remember when the subscribe button used to be big and yellow. I kind of remember that. Yeah, that one's a little vague in my memory. There's a lot of things that I remember vividly, but, you know, they changed so much stuff rapidly. They did. You know, all, all the time. Like, when I took a hiatus from YouTube and came back, all of a sudden there's a bell that people are supposed to ring to get <laughs> notifications. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I'm still trying to get used to the landscape of YouTube today. It's, it's changed um, for the, you know, it's not all negative. Some things have changed for the better for usability UI Um, being able to edit videos within YouTube is a nice little feature that never used to be a thing, which would have been awesome back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also a lot of questionable things, but you know, we won't, we won't focus on the negatives so much. Um, We'll try and reminisce about the, the fun, positive times, you know? The biggest thing really was the community. And that's really how everything started for us back in that time. And it was awesome for us all to come together and then form uh, the podcast, but also form so many other great friendships uh, throughout the years that still continue even to this day. So, yeah, YouTube. Last thing I'll say, it also extended outside of just looking at each other through the screens. We used to do YouTube meetups at like PAX. And stuff. I don't know if you ever made it out to one of the YouTube meetups because usually they would happen at like PAX East um, and whatnot. But we used to have PAX meetups where we would call it the YouTube Gaming Community Meetup. We were the first and ones to whoever, do this. Whoever would be able to make it, you know, to whatever convention we were at, we'd all just gather out in the front of the building for like an hour and just chat and hang out and meet everybody else that was not just a video maker, but also just the fans and everything. Everybody would just come and gather. Man. And uh, it's not the same anymore. Now it's like if you're a big YouTuber or something and you want to go to a convention, it's like you got to book a time slot. You got to have a panel. And back then it was just so loose and organic. It was amazing. There's still pictures floating around of us. I think that was 2011 when we did ours at PAX West in Seattle. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Not not that I forgot about it, but like. How dare you? (laughs) What convention that was. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. PAX West, Seattle. And I just remember us all being there. 
and we have great photos of us all Hanging there out on the steps. Yeah, on the steps, yeah. absolutely. The iconic everybody's pointing together photo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take like five minutes in that pose to get all these photos. Yeah, good times, good times. Um, so yeah, so that that began. Um, how about some? Let's talk about some gaming like trends. We're gonna we're gonna try to just glaze over some of the stuff because I think this this last decade here of gaming really saw a lot of stuff try to come out. Some great, some successful, some not so much. I think the the gaming world has always been chasing 3D. Would you agree with that statement, Pete? I mean, I, I probably would because that was always sort of the benchmark, right? Anytime a new console would come out, it's like how realistic, how 3D, how immersive are the graphics from the previous one? Right. I feel like we've sort of reached the pinnacle of that where now it's like the only way that you can go further is just how much more immersive VR gets, but we'll get to that later on. Um, but yeah, I would say 3D is definitely like one of the top three benchmarks of measuring the evolution of gaming over the past 10 years. And being in 3D, I remember, you know, I, I mean, you own one. I mean, I own one. We're talking about the Virtual Boy. This was, Okay, so when you say 3D, do you mean like actual... Well, like I, 3DS Virtual Boy style, or do you mean like going from side scrolling to 3D environments? I kind of mean both, but more the lines of, I guess. Well, I'm going to bring up 3DS. That's what I'm trying to bring up. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost it's just like a simulated 3D. Mm-hmm. But I think gamers, developers, publishers, the community has always been kind of like you said, chasing that 3D element. And that can even be, like you said, talked about from like going from a side-scrolling sprite-based, you know, into like PS1 or, you know, N64. Now we're like 3D. That, it's, you know what? You know why it's confusing? It's because the 3D term has been thrown around for so long for so many different reasons. So that's why it's confusing. That's why it throws out. And I remember 3DS when it came out. Well, Virtual Boy for me, before the 3DS was even a thing, was like mind blowing. I remember trying it at a friend's house, and I'm yeah. like, "God, this is this is the future right here." Obviously, it was not the future with the Virtual Boy, right? And it's interesting that they try and reinvent it again with the 3DS after the failure that they try and sweep under the rug. That is the Virtual Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I really felt like the 3DS nailed it. it. I think it was more than just a gimmick because it was so much more immersive. Some games did it way better than others. Um, was it inconvenient to have to like sit really still and never move your 3ds yeah it was inconvenient but boy was that 3ds launch for me was still one of the most memorable because there was something new and and fresh and even though eventually when i started buying games i would turn the 3d slider down because it just eventually kind of lost its appeal mm-hmm. and nintendo even started developing and publishing games that didn't feature 3d at all at all yeah they, they got rid like, of it they, they were just like yeah we're done with that don't worry it's the 3ds game no 3d yeah uh, I, do I miss 3D? I, I kind of... I think VR replaces it. Um, but I, I do still kind of miss the simpler times of not having to wear a giant headset to play a game in 3D. Yeah. And you remember when play, remember when Sony tried to get in the 3D with their little 3D television monitors? Oh, hell yeah. They, Sony they released that, that little 3D, 3D monitor TV. that was compatible yeah. with certain games. Yeah. yeah. I just remember it requiring specific hardware, you know, like the TV it had to have some sort of special cable or something, or maybe it was just an HDMI cable. I don't know. But yeah, again, then this is why I bring this up because I find this really fascinating is that this whole chasing 3D 
has has been going since the beginning of gaming, really. I mean, the Vectrex, one of the most beautiful, I think, one of the most beautiful looking uh, consoles and some of the most gorgeous games. Dude, you play a Vectrex in the pitch black, turn your lights off, shut the door. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, in person, in person, it's like people can watch videos online of the Vectrex, but seeing vector graphics, which emulated 3D effects on the Vectrex, um, nothing else quite like it. Yeah, to it's be honest. stunning, really. It's stunning. But then, so then moving forward, you know, we're still in this, I, I don't know, I don't really want to call it a rat race, but we're still in this evolution. How about that? That's a much more polite way to say it. We're much more into this evolution of 3D and by way of VR. And I think that is something that has really stood out in this last decade of gaming is virtual reality VR. We have VR headsets for uh, Sony. Sony has stepped in to do that. Oculus Rift, we have all these um, headsets that are available. Um, Even Valve, uh, with their index, just came out with their $1,000 index, which is, from what everyone's saying, kind of like the big gun, you know, the ultimate way to play. And, And to be honest... I jumped on it way late. Like, I, I have a PS4 VR that I'm borrowing from my friend, and I, I actually really like it, to be honest. I don't know. Do, do you like yours? I, I think it's fun. I, I do. Uh, to be honest, when I, I also got a PlayStation VR. I, I bought it. I made the big decision to get it with the PlayStation Pro when that came out because I was like, well... I didn't get the Pro the day, day one, but not too long after. I, I was like, all right, if I'm going to play VR, I want to make sure that I'm doing it affordably, but also like I don't want it to be too skimped right. in terms of how they handle the the VR. So I got the Pro, which makes it run a lot smoother, a lot better, a lot clearer. It's smart to do and, it that uh, way, yeah. Yeah, it was worth definitely worth the investment. It honestly, VR for me, even though I'm not really active playing it right now, because I am one of those people that does suffer from certain games giving me motion sickness or mm-hmm. like you know just making me feel uncomfortable when I play them for extended periods. So I kind of I am on a break from VR. Uh, but when I first played it for the launch of the PSVR and all the games that it came with, um, honestly, one of the biggest steps in gaming for me, one of the most memorable, most immersive. I will never forget my first month with PlayStation VR and delving into all these different experiences. Yep. Um, I just my favorite PlayStation VR game. I don't know if you ever played it was Werewolves Within. It's this sort of uh, town of Salem where. Oh, yeah. Town of Salem type game. Everybody sits around in a circle. And you're all like these pilgrims and villagers and everything. And a couple of people are wolves and you have to talk with other people to figure out who the wolves are. So everybody has sort of unique (laughs) secret identities. And it's just a simple game where you're sitting in a circle. The only thing you do is just look around. That's all you do. You just look and talk. (laughs) But that was my favorite VR experience because it was like, this is, I feels like I'm here talking with these people. It It really does. Very trippy experience, but I loved it. And, even just beyond that, just playing like actual first-person shooters in VR or flying as an eagle through beautiful environments mm-hmm. or playing Resident Evil 7 in VR, which was oh. probably the most immersive thing I've ever done in a video game, ever, playing that game in VR. Wow. Uh, it's it's kind of unforgettable. Yeah. I played one, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like it's like a rail shooter, like a, a horror like rail shooter where you're in this like minecart or ride or something. You played Rush of Blood... Um, it was, oh God, what game was it based on again? It's going to kill me. It's based on, um, it was based on some other horror game and they made it into like a little mini oh, okay. game. Like a carnival. Yes, like a carnival. yes, yes, yeah. that's it. And it scared the living shit out of me. 
And oh, dude, yeah. the suspense. It's always the suspense that gets me. Like, I'm going through this minecart and I just know like something's going to fucking pop out and sure enough, boom. It, it like, And in VR, it's a completely different experience. Yeah, horror games in VR, I mean, that's like what it's, it's bread and butter, man. That's like trying to scare people. That's, that's huge. First person shooters. Um, was there one called, I don't remember, it was called Flashpoint or something? Ooh. Came with the aim controller. Oh, that was um, Farpoint. Far, yeah, Farpoint. Dude, the, I'm so sad. I looked high and low for that to find it. I found it. I bought it. I think I went to Best Buy out in the middle of nowhere. They had like one yeah, they copy. Were, they were hard to get when they first came out. And I get motion sickness in it. I can't play it. Uh, and I'm so yeah, pissed, I, dude. I, that was one of the final nails in my coffin, too, because I remember getting that game. That was one of the last VR games I bought. I remember getting it and I'm playing it and I'm like, it just it just makes me feel too uneasy. Yeah. And I didn't like I could take I've never taken drama mean in my life before for motion sickness because I never get motion sickness. Right. I just didn't like having to take drama mean and then wear these C band wristbands for like pressure points on your wrist. Weird, right? I know, I know. I'm like, what am I doing to my body to play these? And I just didn't feel <laughs> right about it. <laughs> what am I doing so, to my body to play this game? Yeah, I took I took I'm on a hiatus, but I do yeah. plan on going back because VR is just so amazing. I don't know if you played Drive Club VR. I did. Oh, that was, is that not the most a little bit amazing yeah. experience ever? Uh, like you said earlier, when we started talking about this topic, when I played Drive Club VR for the first time and I actually sat there, and although it's extremely basic, I know. Mm-hmm. But I, I took off. I took it off after I played for like two hours and I just sat down and I just sat there and I just said to myself, this is why I'm a gamer. This is why I like to play games. This this was is the most like I have not been this excited and this starstruck in gaming since I don't know since maybe I got my Super Nintendo in '92. You know what I mean? Like that emotion to feel that emotion. That's how, that's how I felt about VR. Yeah. As well. Okay. That's cool. I'm glad we feel I, I the feel same the way. Same, same things about it. Like there were many times where I'd play a game and I'm like, all right, I I got to stop, and then I take the headset off, and it felt so weird because it's like damn, I'm back in this reality again. You know, it's it's kind of trippy how yeah, yeah. connected you get to these games. Um, and the thing that I look forward to is when I do eventually go back, there are so many new VR games that were not available when I uh, when I was playing. So there's going to be so many new experiences. And anybody that's been on the fence about VR, I would say hold off because obviously we're on the cusp of a new generation of consoles and we don't know what they're doing with VR yet. So you don't want to buy the PlayStation VR now and then have Sony be like, boom, here's PlayStation VR 2, a new, better version. So hold off. But, man, if if you could just wait a little bit or you can get it really cheap just to test it out, it is worth the investment. Like, one of the highlights of the decade for me by far. Definitely. Well said. Um, another highlight that came out uh, in this last decade was, now, it's always been around, maybe not as mainstream or maybe you didn't really know about it, but you definitely were hanging out with your friends back in the, in the day, running through games, trying to beat them as quickly as possible. Maybe you weren't like officially timing them. You know, maybe you didn't have a, a fancy little timer. Maybe it's just a good old plastic, plastic Casio, like stopwatch or something, but speed running really came into its own and became something this last decade. And I wanted to bring this up for a few reasons. One, because it is a massive, massive, huge thing that a lot of the gamers are doing, speedrunning, but also has created, I, I don't want to say one of, probably the biggest convention that supports Doctors Without Borders, and there's tons of other charities that they support. They raise literally millions of dollars every year for charity, 
and it's absolutely fantastic. And Pete, what's great about this is that I've I've watched you recently, and I guess this is a couple of years ago now, but you have actually gone out to Awesome Games Done Quick, AGDQ, and several times, in fact. And Steph and I, we sit down and we watch the videos together. We watch them. So, and well, I want to, I want, I haven't actually had time to congratulate you. I think that is just absolutely amazing. And we stay up and we, we watch you do it live. And yeah, some, the, the hours are weird, but we don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But congratulations. Either, yeah. But yeah, yeah so speed running is huge. So let, let, I'm going to turn it over to you a little bit and talk about speed running that has really just become this huge, huge thing. So for me, I remember watching Games Done Quick on Twitch. You know, it's hard for me to remember exact years, but it was probably around 2015, 2016, I started taking notice. I'm like, oh, what's this? And I tune in and I'm like, oh, people are glitching games and beating games quick. And I'm like, oh, that's neat. I don't think I can ever do that, though. I'm not really into I like to take my time with games and <laughs> go through them at my own pace. And, you know, I, I'm like, I just don't think I could play the same game over and over. Wouldn't that ruin the experience? Right. And... You know, after watching GDQ more and more and hearing like the inspirational speeches that people would give on there and uh, another convention, too, is RPG Limit Break, which does something similar, but only with RPGs. And there's always a lot of like great speeches that people give on there. I'm like, you know what? A game had came out called. um, Well, originally I tried. I'm like, let me let me just try speedrunning with Splatterhouse on the arcade. I'm like, that seems like a cool speedrun. I couldn't get it working correctly with Meme because I've never used Meme before. And I'm like, all right, forget, forget this. I'm not going to get into speedrunning right now. <laughs> and then a 3D platformer came out called uh, Skylar and Plux, which is a, a very early, mid-2000s, late-2000s throwback to 3D platformers. Really great, great 3D platformer. And to just start playing the game, and uh, the movement in the game just felt really good. I'm like, wow, I like the way that you jump and the way that you kind of like roll through the game. It's a nice pacing to it. And then I started... I, I After I beat the game normally, I'm like, let me just go on speedrun.com and, and see what a speedrun of this game looks like. And then I see they're beating the game in like 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, how are they beating this game in 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I watch it and they're doing all these cool tricks and skips. And I'm like, let me try this. So I start glitch hunting the game. I start looking for routes through the game to beat it quickly and like shortcut and skip entire portions of the game. And I became addicted. <laughs> it really became this this new way for me to look at and play games yeah. that I had never had before, like glitch hunting, skip hunting, routing a game, and then trying to go through it as fast as I can for a competitive time. I'm like, I just couldn't get enough of it. I was, I was addicted to it. Um, and I don't want this to be too long winded. So essentially I'll just say that, yeah, I got in, I, I went from, I'll never speed run to, holy crap. I, I can't put this down now. All I want to do is go through games fast. And then it, people started asking me, they're like, Oh, well, so will you ever speed run an RPG? I'm like, Psh. I don't have the time to sit down for eight hours and speed run an RPG. A year, later, <laughs> a year later, here I am speed running games like Dark Cloud, where my first speed run of Dark Cloud was like 12 hours. I sat in my chair. Wow. Very unhealthy, by the way. I don't I don't recommend this because I wasn't <laughs> sure how long it would take. I'm like, I want to speed run Dark Cloud because it's one of my favorite games of all time. I want to give this a try. I like the random elements to it. My first speed run was like almost 12 hours. Me sitting in a chair with a game with no breaks. No pee breaks. Dude. No stretching. You need a shit bucket. You need a oh, shit man, bucket. It, it was intense. Wow. It was intense. Uh, but gradually I got my time in that. So now I speed run everything under the sun. 
RPG anywhere from a game that takes five minutes to a game that takes eight or nine hours. I've done everything, all genres. Um, but then, yeah, the cherry on top is that I'm like, you know what? Let's start doing something good with speedrunning. Let's not just do this for the fun of it at home. Let's start submitting to Games Done Quick. Yeah. Let's go to a big charity event. Let's meet some cool people. Let's you know raise money for good causes. And uh, yeah, I started submitting games, and they kept taking them. Hell yeah! You know, my first, my first. I remember being super surprised because everybody's always like, "Man, I've been submitting the Games Done Quick for years." I've been submitting for five years and I haven't got a game in yet. And I'm like, man, this Whoa. is going to be, this is going to be hard. So my first year submitting, I got two games in and I'm like, really? Two yeah. games? Wow. Uh, it, it just kind of blew me away. And of course they accepted an Atari Jaguar game. Oh yeah. That racing Club game. Drive. Yeah. Um, Club drive. And the yeah. Club drive. Yep. Really weird, strange game with the orange cat and Spider-Man <laughs> on 32 X, which was, uh, was really fun as well. That's and actually a really good big, game. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I like Spider Man on thirty two X. I really do. Uh, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. No. It's a little janky. It's a short game. It's hard, but it's fun. There's some really cool clips in that game. Um, and before I turn it back over to you, I'll just say that yeah, I've really enjoyed speedrunning. It offers a new way for me. The thing about speedrunning for me is it offers me the the biggest benefit outside of the meeting communities of really nice people and speedrun communities, certain ones are very nice, very welcoming. The biggest thing for me is it gives a new purpose to playing games. So for example, a game that normally you would sit down, it's like an arcade kind of game that you'd beat in like 15, 20, 30 minutes, and then you would never touch it again, right? You beat it, you're done. Speedrunning, you'd be really surprised how just putting a little timer on your screen gives you so much incentive to keep playing that game keep revisiting it it gives you a new purpose mm -hmm. like oh let's try and knock my time down by another minute let's just try and get a little bit better at this jump and suddenly you take a game that you would have put back on your shelf and never touched again after playing it for 30 minutes you're there for hours you're coming back to it days later um speed running goes a long way and setting that little personal goal for yourself it's not about going for the world record it's also not about dedicating a hundred hours to a game you could just sit down with a game for an evening and be like i'm gonna give myself four hours Let's see what the best time is I can get. Yeah, exactly. Those are the best kind of speedruns. And I think it also forms, and this sounds really weird and kind of corny, but you almost form a different type of bond with that game when you're able to actually go in and not only just play it to play it, but you're playing it to analyze it, dissect it, and try to figure out the best routing, the best path. You know, like it's a different type of relationship that you have with the game. To me, For better anyway. and worse, though. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. The yeah. bad part is, and I will admit this, I'm trying to get better about it, but I have a really hard time playing certain games now and not always hyper-analyzing, like, yeah. okay, if I do a speedrun of this game, uh, can I go around this corner? Can I can I clip out of bounds? Like, there were times where I'm, I'm booting up a brand new game, and the first thing I do is I run into a back corner and start jumping into the corner to try and get <laughs> break the boundaries. yeah. And people are like, oh, here goes Pete again. I'm trying to get better about it because it is like an addiction. It's super satisfying to break a game. I love yeah. itchy, janky, broken. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 3D platformer speedruns, yes. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. But the most very satisfying to take a game, right, that nobody has glitch hunted and routed before that normally takes 10 to 15 hours to beat. I've done it a couple times where you sit down, you find all the glitches, you route it out, and then you personally take a game that takes about 15 hours down to like under an hour. It's one of the most satisfying things I've ever done in gaming. It just feels so 
I don't know if this is the right word, but it feels very intimate with yeah. this game. Like no. you go in deeper That's than fair. anybody else has ever gone before. It's a good thing Gamester isn't here because I'm sure he'd have puns up the wazoo for all this. But <laughs> yeah, he would. Very, very weird description here, but that's the best way I can describe it. No, I think it's a fair. I think it's a fair um, uh, assessment of it for sure. Yeah, things change for sure when you start doing stuff like that. And I know you've considered it. I'm like Jason. You should speed run. I'm like you love racing games. You know, go beat little Billy and little Jimmy's score on Excitebots on, on the Wii. You know, like show yeah. him who's boss. We've and I talked still about think it. you should consider it. You really should. Okay. I know we've talked about it. I, I don't know why I'm hesitating. I need to just get in there and do it. I love Excitebots. I own that. I just I rock that I'm game. I'm telling you, Jason, it will give you a new purpose to play certain racing games that you know you have fond memories of. Okay. I'm telling you, once I'm t- it's going to set in. The second that you start running that timer and you beat the world record or you're within like a minute or two of record and you're like, I got this next time. And when you take that record... It's going to be a feeling that you've never had before playing games. I'm telling you. Oh, my you. God. Okay. Yeah, I'm telling you. You should really just look into it. You know, I've already routed... Go- dude, I've already routed that game. I, I I mean, up until this point, not even thinking about speedrunning. So if I actually invest the time and look at it as as a differently, like speedrun mind, that shit could get crazy. Optimization. Because normally when you play casually... You know, you're having fun. It's like, oh, I bumped the wall. No big deal. But speedrunning, it's like it needs to be perfect, as perfect as you can get it. And then you start thinking about the game in different ways because it's like, man, is taking this turn worth it? Can I, is it worth the five seconds I would save? Whereas if I messed it up, I'm going to lose a minute or something, you know? Um, And then the grand scheme of things is even better is once you find that game that you start to specialize in, you can then start submitting to little mini online marathons and you meet a bunch of great people that also love say speedrunning racing games or whatever games and right um, you get your name out there right people will watch you in these marathons and they'll be like wow i remember playing excite bucks on the wii yeah this guy's really good at this game maybe i should stop by stream and watch his attempts sometime yeah and that's the that's the great thing about speedrunning is it, it opens you up to uh, a whole new community of people that wouldn't have otherwise found you the so- balance the the hard thing balancing speedrunning with normal game playing oh yeah yeah because like, do I speedrun this or do I do a normal casual game? You know, like, well, yeah. Let, let me tell you from personal experience, some people are really off. They find like running a timer while you're playing a game quite off putting. They're like, I don't want to watch somebody beat a game over and over. Like, you have to find a delicate balance with you and your community. Like, okay, speedrun Sundays. Today is speedrun day. Right. You don't want it to get overwhelming. Right. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, we've talked about it for so long. I really should just, I should just get my ass in there and beat little Bimmy and Jimmy out of that top spot and excite boss on Wii. It's all about that motion control, dude. I love it. <laughs> but then the best part is when they come back for revenge and beat your time and then you got to reclaim the crown. Dude, I bet you that there's a light in his bedroom somewhere. If that, if that, his time gets beat, it'd be like, whoop, whoop, freaking out. I'm, I'm just guaranteed. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, speed running it's huge, and I know you do a ton of it, and I've watched many of your shows doing it, and AGDQ, of course, but I hadn't had time to actually congratulate you on that. I wanted to do it in person. I didn't want to send a message as silly as that sounded. I'm like, no, I actually want to talk to this man about it, because I think that's such a great achievement. So, again, well, I, congratulations on you. that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been an interesting ride for speed running, and something I never considered I'd do now suddenly like a pretty big part of my my video game life, you know? I hope that conventions are able to to snap back from all this and things are start to happen again so that, you know, we can all 
go back to they're our, starting to move them almost. online. Yeah, yeah, they're starting yeah. to move a lot of that stuff online now, which makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Um. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's move on to. Um, I made a note here talking about what what else really stood out in this last decade of gaming. In my eyes, I feel like this is or this was the decade of remasters, HD remakes, enhanced editions. There are literally hundreds of games in this category right here, more than I can even uh, talk about here. But this is that, we're at that moment, right, where, where maybe 10, 15 years from when the game was originally released, you know, we're kind of like in that area where like, eh, it would be cool to remake this game or do an HD collection or like Spyro or some other games where they do a trilogy or Laura Croft. I mean, how many Tomb Raider games have we seen? Um, you know, to where you can look at it both ways, right? You can look at it as either these are all new experiences or kind of like nostalgic memory, but with a new coat of paint, which of course I welcome both. Um, or sometimes they're kind of like cash cows, like, all right, this was a terrible port. You know, you, you, you didn't do this right. And it's terrible and shame on you. You know, so there's there's kind of like this whole like that's the gamut of I think HD remakes or remasters. Sometimes you do a really good job, but I do think that this was the time when developers were looking back and saying, "Okay, well, we made this game in '95. Here we are, ten years later, fifteen years later, whatever. We're ready to go. Let's do it again." And you know, they're jumping in the bandwagon here. I made a list, a small list. I'm going to just run through it, and then we'll, we'll talk about some games. And holy fucking shit, though, Pete, how many fucking Skyrim versions are there? Can I just <laughs> say that before I even jump into this? How, yeah. many, how many ports of Skyrim do we need? Apparently, still not enough. Okay, okay, fair enough. How about um, many Resident Evil games? Uh, Call of Duty games. They just redid Modern Warfare 2 Remaster. Halo Master Chief Collection. Halo is finally on PC too, by the way, which is great. We never thought we'd see that. Spyro Trilogy. All the Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered. Burnout Paradise Remastered. Trials of Mana. Chrono Trigger. System Shock Enhanced. Tony Hawk 1 and 2. Okay, that was announced for 2020. I'm still throwing it in there because it's awesome. All right, Tony Hawk 1 and 2. How many Doom ports do we need? A million Doom ports. Doom 64, though, for PC came out. That's amazing. That's that cool. that should yeah, be cool. celebrated. Um, Shenmue 1 and 2. Oh, my God. Hello. Bioshock Remastered. Uh, Panzer Dragoon, which you've recently played and streamed. was a great show. We'll talk about that. I know that was another 2020 game, but whatever. I'm throwing it in. Mark of the Ninja. Castlevania. Turok series. Shadow Warrior. The most amazing Mega Man collection. Is that not the most amazing Mega Man Legacy collection? I mean, and, and playing it on Switch, it just feels right. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, certain games work really well on the Switch, that's for sure. The list goes on. I have tons of more games. But again, that's just the small no taste. No mention of Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Those are, oh, oh hold Shadow on. Shadow of the Colossus remaster. It's right here at the bottom <laughs> of my list. Eco and Shadow of the Colossus beat. There it is, right on <laughs> the bottom of my list. No, but it's true, though. It's true. Like, this is, this is great times for nostalgic gamers to kind of either get uh, a, a t- another taste of the games they love, but also to let it be introduced to new gamers. I think it's really cool. And they're not always done right. Right. But I do think, I think it was definitely the decade for that. I mean, my take on it is 
think of it this way like yes there are people out there that get upset they're like oh i'm getting tired of all these remasters and remakes and mm. everything and i'm like well think of your favorite game of all time right just think of your favorite game of all time how excited would you be if it got remastered or remade and it was a good remaster or a remake bingo yeah. uh and there you go you've got an amazing remake of your favorite game of all time because in my case my favorite game is eco and it's like, man, I would have never imagined that that game would ever get some sort of remaster, which was the PS3 version. And then look at Shadow of the Colossus. The remaster slash remake of that is just absolutely mind-blowing visually and made from the ground up. So I'm all for the remaster and remakes. If something, if, if a ton of them come out, that's fine. I, you know, I don't got to play all of them. They're not for me. Yeah, right. But for the people out there that are looking forward to it and they get that good remaster and remake, I mean... There you go. I mean, look at Shenmue 1 and 2. I, I I had tried playing Shenmue 1 many times in the past on the Dreamcast, and I never was able to fully commit to finishing it, and I played the re, the remaster of it, and I finally beat it, and then I played Shenmue 2 for the first time and finally beat it because of the, the remasters. So yeah, Because like said, of the remasters, exactly. Because of the remaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It sort of just gave me that extra little bit of drive to play it because it's a new fresh coat of paint on it. For sure. Um, even though it's not always about the visuals, but it is somewhat exciting to play a game that has been recently remastered to look even better than it used to. Yeah, you know, I agree completely. And I look at it like this. Sometimes developers need time to work on all the new stuff that they're doing, right? So sometimes they will kind of like pad the stats in a way. They will come up with like, okay, look, AAA developer, whatever, insert whatever. We are going to release this big AAA game, but in the meantime, let's release this remaster and that remaster to keep energy, keep people excited, keep our mm-hmm. our developers in their minds, like keep this fresh, and then give us more time, and then boom, then we hit them with the big with, one. With their B team, like a lot of people yeah. think, oh, the core team that's supposed to be making X game is is not working on that game because they're making this remaster. It's like, no. Believe me, the the core team that's making the next big game is still working on that. They, right. they just bring in like probably a lot of uh, independent contract people to, into the studio where like their B team, right? To yeah, work for on sure. The remaster of the yeah. remake. They don't need the whole team to work on upresing and fixing that kind of stuff. No, definitely not. Yeah, it's like when Nintendo released this was you know a couple years ago or whatever or earlier last year when Nintendo released their their new controllers their wireless controllers for switch, like the official super Nintendo controllers or the official NES controllers. I was just freaking out. I was gushing. I was so excited because I'm getting like, I don't know. I don't know why this is coming up during our HD remaster. Cause I feel like those controllers that got an HD <laughs> remastered too. <laughs> but like, I was so excited to not get like a third party and don't get me wrong. Third party controllers today are not third party barf controllers that Pete was using on N64 days back in the day. Right. They're not mad cats. Right. But I was so excited to get brand new, fresh, out of the box, from Nintendo directly, Super Nintendo and Nintendo controllers. Like, you, you can't go to, like, Sears and buy a Super Nintendo controller anymore. You know what I mean? Like, that excited me. And I feel like I'm the only one in this world that was so excited to get a first-party controller that felt just like it did in 91 when I pulled out of the box and I smelled it. I did the sniff test like everyone does. I was like... Yep, it's it's perfect. It's just perfect. And even even hardware getting some sort of remaster in a way. It's a weird way to look at it, I know, but my mind is weird that way. I was excited for that. How do you feel about console 
I mean, I know this is getting a little off track. No, that's how cool. do you feel? How do you feel about this new mindset within the gaming industry that like it's becoming the new norm to release the base console, and then a few years in, we're suddenly getting the PS4 Pro and then the Xbox One X. Um, to be honest with you, I don't really like it, but I don't think there's any other way around it. They have to do that. Don't they? They have to. Mm -hmm. There's just no other way. They can't release one console for six years and not change it. Technology evolves too fast now. It does. Way too fast. Especially in the console world. It changes quite a bit faster than it does other places. So... this is on my mind because you mentioning hardware revisions with the controllers. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me of, I don't know what you think of the new name for the Xbox one series. Oh, X. Series X. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's one of the worst names in console history because it's the same problem that we had with Wii U. How confusing is it going to be for people to have something called the Xbox one, the Xbox one X, the Xbox one series X, and then whatever the heck they're going to come out with in the future. Who knows? I mean that. Yeah. That's uh, for, for, I don't, I'm a little worried about Microsoft. No, I, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, why is naming such an issue with with these companies? I, I don't I don't really get it. I think what they're trying to do with I think they're trying to abbreviate it. And for what I was reading from what Phil Spencer said, is that it's going to be just called Series X. Like the Xbox is not on the t- on it. It's just Series X. Interesting. From what I understand, so. I don't know. And I may be, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I read an interview with him talking about that and he was talking about it as it's like Series X. He's saying it's it's Series X, Series X. So I think that's what they want. And it, it's weird. It's like, yeah, we had the same argument back in the day, like Wii U. Well, I mean, even we, we were like, wait, what? <laughs> we? Well, that one worked out for them. That one worked out great. The... Yeah. Not at first. We're like, what the fuck is this? But yeah, Wii U, new Super Mario Brothers U2, new U. We knew you. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. I think, uh, just to go back to your question, when the console gets released almost for, like, collecting purposes, I'm kind of okay with that. Because, like, I own all those N64 Fantastic consoles because they're so cool and see-through and colored, and I love them. Mm -hmm. But if it's, like, a revision because of technology, like PS4 Pro or Series X, or Xbox One Pro X or whatever the fuck it is. Just kind of like, uh, you're just re-releasing it because of its evolving, its evolution or trying to, you know. And I, can't, I guess I can't be mad at it because they have to, right? I mean, Nintendo, they released Slim. Top loader for NES. You know, Genesis released, what, three models of the Genesis? I mean, you know, they have to they, do they, it. They, you got to think about it too from the people that are like, well, I know in a couple of years they're going to come out with a hardware revision. I'm not going to buy it right now. I'm just going to wait. Guess that's got to be, I, I guess they know more than us though when it comes I, to marketing. I mean, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. I mean, no, from it, the it, consumer perspective, it's not a bad right, idea. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've talked about this before, even back on All Gen Gamers. Dude, I cleaned up on uh, 360 doing that. Got the th- remember, got the 360 when it came out, red ring. Got another one, red ring. I said, fuck it, I'm done. I waited till 20, uh, 2010, I think, or 2009. Picked one up finally when they, or whenever they did the slim, the, the, the 500 gig slim one, the right. glossy one. That's when I picked it up. Perfect console. Guess what? It's at the end of its life. 
has all those games. I mean, how many times do we play Hydro Thunder? I mean, come on. You know, we got know. down. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and, but that was a good time. And I think that's a good message for, for people who are looking at getting games later on. Yeah, you miss out. You kind of miss out, right? You miss out on like the initial the launch like, hype. Launch yeah. hype. Yeah, you, you do. I did the same thing with PSP. Fuck, I waited on that and then cleaned up like games on Amazon and eBay for like two or three bucks. Dude, you remember those mm-hmm. days? Oh, yeah. I know you do. No one gives a shit about PSP. Now look at PSP. What? Yeah, it's starting to get a little crazy. Starting to go. Starting to go. <laughs> yeah, good times. Anyway, but, I didn't want to get off, off track there. I, uh, no, please do. So I, we were talking about... Um, remind me again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, we're talking about we HD. We got so far off track. Yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. HD remasters. We got to do yeah. that. We have to do that. Yeah, HD remasters and stuff. Yeah, I think... Um, I don't know. I think I pretty much said everything I wanted to say. I just think it's it's nice. I, I welcome them. I think they're great. I think they should happen. And I think it's nice that we can take some of the old games that we, we know and love and or maybe never experienced from back in that time, bring them into modern day with compatibility now, right? Sometimes, and, I, and I'm speaking on terms of, of PC, maybe you have compatibility issues from old Windows and stuff. Now, modern oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's great. So we have compatibility and even bringing them onto new consoles. I mean, what if it was a game that was on the original Xbox and maybe it doesn't have backwards compat- compatibility for Xbox One? And now it does. Like, that's a win. That's a win yeah. every, every, every step of the way. So, yeah, I welcome them, man. I love them. Last thing I'll say is how disappointed I am with Sony in particular with their PS2 games on PS4 that they were doing, where it was this... Not a lot of people are even aware of it because they released so few, but mm-hmm. they were taking PS2 games and just up them and making them look really pretty mm-hmm. on the PlayStation 4. You download it, 10 15 bucks. Okay, you know, that's reasonable for games that I'm looking forward to. Just out of nowhere, they just stop releasing games. No announcement, like, oh, we're discontinuing this. They're just, like, done. And I'm like, wow, I mean, they... I really feel like they missed the mark. As long as they have the rights to to release those games, they should have just went crazy. They should have released everything they could have on the PS2 library. And I really hope the PS5 brings back that service because it was one of my favorite things. Just taking a PS2 game that would otherwise look kind of fuzzy and Vaseline and having it look amazing on an HDTV, it was really refreshing and well worth the price for 15 bucks for most of those games. Totally agree. And what a missed opportunity. You know, they have, the, they have the IPs, just release them. You know, just put them out there. I think... Um, yeah. Yeah, breathe, breathe new life into them with totally. online multiplayer, perhaps, which they didn't do. Yeah, but you know, just think of the possibilities, right? Just taking an old game where the servers are dead and being like, "Yeah, all right, we'll we'll bring the servers back, have some fun." Yeah, you know, we'll kill the servers in a year from now if no one's playing it. But but man, for now, so we'll have it here. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the PS2. I wish they would. It's a missed opportunity. They should have just pulled a Nintendo and just keep re-releasing these games on every single eShop and every single platform that they possibly can. Yeah. Why not? People will buy them. Dude, how many times have, how many times have you bought Mario 64? Fuck. I mean, geez, I own like 100 copies of it. Every console, it seems, you know? So... Which don't don't forget about that that rumor about Nintendo coming out with uh, like that Mario compilation or whatever the heck the rumors were. Where yeah, we've people been... don't know the details, but people are thinking like Mario sixty four remaster of some sort. Yeah, I know. We've been talking about it for like two months now. I I try to <laughs> every time there's like a new leak or something, I'm like, man, another rumor. I don't know. Do you think they'll do that? I I, I think that they may do something like that, but. 
I, I think they'd honestly be silly not to remaster a game like Mario 64, which mm-hmm. has never officially received a remaster outside of the DS version. Right. Um, it's just money waiting to be printed for Nintendo. Yeah, totally. What Nintendo fan would not buy a like Mario Odyssey-ified Mario 64 game? Take the coat of paint of Odyssey, apply it to Mario 64. Oh, my like, God. Not Don't change too many things. Who the heck wouldn't buy that? You know, yeah. Can you call yourself a Nintendo fan without buy- like everybody would buy it? Yeah, absolutely. Even people who don't know anything about it, they'd be like, "This game looks good." You know, they'd buy it for sure. Sometimes it's a little hard to understand Nintendo's business decisions, but hey, they're successful. So yeah, maybe they know something we don't. Um, let's move on and talk a little bit about this was a huge thing that happened during uh, the last decade, the rise of mobile gaming. And we don't have to spend a ton of time over here, but I, I wanted to mention it because before 2010, there really was no mobile gaming. And then after the decade's done in 2020, mobile gaming is massive. So something happened in this little 10 year span and I'm going to credit two things. I'm going to get, I'm going to credit two things, Pete. Flappy birds and candy crush. (laughs) Thank you. And you're welcome. I think that was kind of sort of a catalyst to get the majority of people playing, but I'm kind of talking more in lines of, sort of more of like a hardcore being a hardcore device. Mobile was kind of seen as not that great. Remember back in the day, it was kind of like, you almost laughed at it. You kind of scoffed it was, at it. It like, was mocked. Yeah, yeah, it was mocked. Like, yeah, if no. you were in the mobile gaming, you were seen as like a casual non-gamer. Yep, exactly. Um, for me, mobile gaming really took off. Like I was playing mobile games for, for quite a while. I was not a, I was not like, swearing them off like I'm never going to touch mobile games. But, you know, if there's a cool mobile game that came out, sure, I'll play it. Music rhythm game, okay. Cool little artsy-fartsy game, okay. But then the thing that really sold me on it was when I was really in the Hearthstone and Blizzard had Hearthstone on mobile and I had an iPad. Oh, yeah. That that became, like, my life for a couple of years. Every morning with my cup of coffee, I'd play a couple of rounds of Hearthstone. Um, you know, yeah, I would invest money in the opening packs, but, like, just the convenience of being able to play a couple of rounds of a digital card game on my iPad for someone like me, where it's like, I didn't really have friends growing up that played card games. This was my gateway into this genre that had been so alien to me for so long. Right. Um, digital card games for me and, you know, a couple of other genres that I dabble in over the years, like shoot 'em ups or, you know, whatever, but mainly digital card games were amazing on mobile. And, mm-hmm. um, I can't even, I couldn't even play them on a PC anymore. Mobile is just so convenient. It's too convenient. Lay on the couch, lay in your bed, play it. Perfect. And you know, you know why they're so great? Because of this right here. Your finger is the absolute best input device for that. Hands down. I remember when mobile gaming was coming around, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use my finger to play game. Like, I need a controller. So I'm like, okay, let's buy a Bluetooth controller. So I bought a Bluetooth controller, and it's kind of like there was like some lag and the games weren't optimized for that. You know, they were, they were meant for tilt controls. So we have like weird compatibility issues, you know? So I'm getting frustrated, but really the touch, your touch, your, your fingers are the best input for that. And the games are designed yeah. for that. So yeah, I, I get it completely. 
a lot of people don't believe me when I say the best way I've ever played a shoot 'em up, you know, like those really crazy bullet hell games, like the cave shooters where you're dodging thousands of bullets at the same time. I said, it's really hard for me to play a cave shoot 'em up like with a gamepad now because after I played it on mobile where I'm controlling my little character by sliding my finger around for these precise pinpoint dodges, it's like there's no it's really hard for me to go back. How do you go back? <laughs> How do you go back to the inaccuracy of a joystick? And, and response time. You can't. It, it makes as total long sense. As, as long as your device can handle the game that you're playing, that's important. You don't want lag and you don't want it struggling to process what it's what it's doing. Um, it's a really great way to play most games. And yeah, you know, I've dabbled in some of those free-to-play gotcha games where it's like, oh, you put a little bit of money in. What character do you get for your team this time? Like, yeah, I've played that kind of stuff. Um, heck, I even went as deep as to get into a digital... Like, it felt like I was living in another world thinking back on it, but, like, I got into Topps Star Wars trading cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Digitally. We're not talking playing oh, a game. digital, okay. We're talking collecting digital trading cards. Wait, wait, so how does that work? Because <laughs> I, I don't even know if I've heard about this. You yeah. you collect digital cards. Okay. Yeah, so you know, so you know how people have physical binders of and boxes of cards that they collect? Yes. Yes. Uh, you collect them digitally. Okay. So you you open virtual packs. So wait, wait. So you have like a <laughs> so don't so tell me. You have like a peachy or something or like a, a binder with them in there too. Well, a digital the top binder. The tops. The tops. You can think of it as a binder, but okay. yeah, you know, you would okay. open and they would catalog it for you. It's like okay, you're missing these cards from this set. Are you missing these cards? But they would they would make it just authentic, like real packs of cards. You know, when you open a pack of cards, and it's like there's the chase cards that are like super rare. Yeah, they had that digitally. So you'd open mm. packs, you get five cards. You might get a really rare chase card. But then the thing that really made it fun and interesting for me was you can trade with other people. Okay, so okay. if you got if you got a rare card that you didn't want, you can trade it with other people that were opening other cards. And it was just this fun. I get it sense now. of. Yep. Oh, I got a super rare card now that's going to be worth like X amount of these cards. And you build a virtual collection and you look at the artwork. The craziest thing that happened, though, I got a slave Princess Leia trading card that was apparently really rare and sought after. I sold that shit on eBay for like $25, $30. (laughs) A digital trading card. A digital trading card. When I quit, I'm like, I'm done with tops cards. Or even at the time I was still playing it, I'm like, this digital picture on my iPad is worth almost $30. <laughs> I think the best decision for me to make right now is to sell that and get $30. Uh, yeah. Of having a picture of slave Leia on my iPad. 100%. I mean, I'm so glad you sold that to gamester. Cause I know he's been looking for that forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. I, I get it now. I, I wasn't sure when you told me that I was like kind of struck there for a minute, the ability to trade them with, with other people and to kind of like have it catalog for you and to show like what you're missing, what you need. Bro, that's like that sounds pretty addicting to be honest. Like I can and see I you being pull. like uh, one more pack, one it, more it pack. Was, it was it was pretty addicting, but then you get into like the deep end of it where what what people do is and it's not it's, it was frowned upon. You're not really supposed to do this, but how how to word it, I guess. You would play other digital card like other card collecting games. So like say I would make an account on some game I don't give a shit about. Uh-huh. But I I get credits and get packs and oh, then yeah. i would you use those packs from that other random ass game 
to trade to somebody that plays that one that actually cares about it. And in turn, they do the same for Star Wars. So essentially, you're trading like virtual packs and cards from this game you don't give a crap about for cards that you do care about. Yep, packs that you want. Sort of like go back and forth with one another to kind of get past the spending real money aspect. And yeah, I spent real money on it, but they also gave you free credits. But then they started getting really greedy where they're like, oh, buy a booster box. It's $100 for these digital cards. And it's like, oh, to get this rare limited card, you need to spend like $20, $30 to to have a chance at getting it. It's like, no, this is, I was okay with it, you know, dropping a few bucks here and there uh, to open up some packs to try and get those chase cards I needed. But when they started getting greedy, no, no, I, I had to move on past that. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. These companies, they sometimes they see the money coming in and they're like, let's push it even further. Yeah. And they push it too far and they alienate all the fan base. <coughs> EA, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. I got cough there. Yeah. That's one thing we, I didn't even have on my list of like the birth, and demise of of loot crates and like loot boxes and shit, you know, like in like pay to win type stuff. So glad that shit is gone. At Seriously. least loot crates have pretty much evolved into just cosmetics, which is how it should have been from the beginning. Thank God, yeah, that was terrible. I don't. Know, I don't really have uh, too much else. I, I guess I had some cloud gaming stuff there, but is there any any other uh, topics you want to talk about? Pass the torch. I was gonna. I was gonna mention how there's been such a rise in the resurgence of retro style games mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the past five years or so, like how many games now are coming out that are, you know, in eight bit, 16 bit style, or in many cases now trying to replicate like that arcade feel of yeah. playing an old, like arcade racing game, for example, and not just the physical side of things like releasing physical versions of retro games, but it, it got to a point where I started getting overwhelmed and kind of tired of retro style pixel games. I mm-hmm. I definitely went on a long hiatus. I'm, sl- I'm starting to get back into them now because it's been it's been long enough. But there was a point in you know like I don't know 2015 2016 where it just felt like every game that came out was starting to look the same. They were all very gimmicky, trying to stand out, and I got uh, I got burnt out on indie retro style games yeah um and yeah. they're showing no sign of slowing down that is for sure yeah if anything it's just it's amplified so much um yeah i mean gosh and i mean like one of the greatest it's, it's games not, shovel knight thing, no no, yeah, no it's not yeah knight. yeah i mean like shovel knight i think is one of the most brilliant games to come out that features such a nice mm-hmm. real true like Eight and sixteen bit elements, and has just great music and chip tune and gameplay. Like that's a whole package. That game is a whole package. That game, I really feel, is one of the main reasons why this resurgence is what it is now. Yep. Because I, I remember, I remember being at a PAX event and Shovel Knight was there, and at the time, that was like, wow, look at this! Somebody's making a game, a retro style game, in, in the vein of like, you know, kind of a cross between NES and Super Nintendo graphics. And the music is so upbeat and shit, and really mm-hmm. cool sounding. At the time, that was like, whoa, we hadn't seen had that this before. Yeah, we, had we seen hadn't it. seen it. And then Shovel Knight was obviously pretty successful. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there were many, there were many other games that were that came out and were successful as well. But really, Shovel Knight, I felt, was one of the main main reasons for a lot of other indie developers saying, "Oh, I could do pixel art. Let's let's try this instead, instead of trying to keep up with whatever the latest and greatest 3D engine is that we're trying to right. to develop." And indie devs love that. 
because it required, well, I, I don't want to speak for them all, but I, I feel like the amount of effort was, was definitely reduced some doing a, well, an art form. The that's The stress of having to yeah. learn like whatever yeah. the latest 3d engine is, whereas yeah. pixel art is timeless. Right. You know, exactly. you can, you can take what you apply from growing up and be like, man, I can make a pixel character. Let's do that. Instead of having to work with the constantly evolving, you know, now we have unity, but I'm sure it probably wasn't a walk in the park to learn how to develop a 3d engine right. game as times are always changing. Whereas pixel art, you know, yeah, we don't want to undermine it. We're not, not at all. Not at all. Um, I just looking at it like, Hey, I'm a developer. Instead of having to go make something in unity in the 3d model, I can make a pixel art image way quicker, way more efficiently. And that means I can release my game quicker. I'm going that route. That, that would make some, complete sense. Some artists, though, I do want to give them credit. Some of these developers and artists, they go crazy with the animation on this pixel art. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. yeah. We're, we're talking, it probably takes them a month just to animate a single character to have, like, walking in. Like, some of them go really crazy. Yeah. Um, but not, not to hinge upon that, but I don't want to say that this is, like, a negative thing. I just mean the market is flooded. Mm-hmm. I, the market hasn't been this flooded with a particular type of game since like first person shooters were starting to become, you know, the most prevalent genre back in the 2000, mid 2000s, late 2000s. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I was going to say. I just lost it. I, I, I love that art style. And, oh, that's what I was going to say. The thing about it is remember we were trying to come from, there was a time when developers were trying to get their games to not look like that. They were like, no, 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 we, we need to move on. We need to make it into 3d. We need to go into like open world. We need to have real 3d models. We, we need to have this like real world feeling vibrant, real world, not, not like this pixel stuff. So that's why it was crazy when we saw it again, come back with like shovel Knights, a few other games. Because like, wow, for so many years they were, you know, wanting to get away from that. But again, Pete, you said it earlier, the nostalgia is strong, man. It's strong. And Shovel Knight is proof of that. Well, it's a goddamn good game, too. Jeez. Also, Mega Man 9 was probably also a very, very integral part of bringing back that sort of like, wow, retro is really cool again. Uh, And other like bigger developers are like, huh, like look at Sonic Mania, right? A more recent example. Right. Where Sega's like, you know what? Let's just hire, you know, outsource our assets to someone that can make really good use of them. And let's let's release a new retro style. Because look at what they tried doing with Sonic 4, right? It was like this weird 3D engine. It didn't quite work visually. And a lot of Sonic fans were kind of not too on board with Sonic the Hedgehog 4. And then they come out with Sonic Mania and it's like, it's a huge hit. Nostalgia is really big right now. It's strong. Can't deny it. That's for sure. What are the kids going to be nostalgic for in the future, Pete? What are they going to be nostalgic for? Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? <laughs> right? I know. Oh, man. I know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't keep up with a lot of the things the little kids are doing these days, but it still baffles <laughs> me that people are being born into a world where they never had an experience of not having a cell phone. Yeah. You know, like yeah. kids are being born into the world now where it's like they grow up with a cell phone from the age of like one or two years old. It's like, man, are they going to be nostalgic for whenever the phasing out of like traditional phones like what what's the next thing like <laughs> yeah like, holograms oh, i remember my, i remember my ipad air that was a really cool device 
Yeah, it's crazy to think. I know we joke about it, but it's true, though. It's really true. It's just a different time, for sure. I notice a lot of people now start, people are starting to get nostalgic about, like, just playing online with their friends in general is becoming a trend where people are, yeah. because people get busier, people get older. It's like, you just don't have the time to sit down and play Xbox Live with your group of buddies anymore. It's like, that's becoming nostalgic for people. Yeah. I'm um, just remembering having the time to play games with, with friends. Right. Think about like, I know you play online more than, more than I do now, but it's like, man, I'm kind of nostalgic about that too. I think about it. I'm like, man, the days back when we'd gather with a bunch of people from YouTube, and just play games online. I haven't done that in a while. Could I organize it now? Yeah. But it wouldn't quite be the same as it was back then. Cause it was sort of, everything is so much more wide out in the open these days. You know, if, if I'm like, all right guys, I'm going to play online. It wouldn't quite just be a small group of people, you know, because you there's a much bigger community these days of people that are able to play online. Yeah, and it can be um, difficult to coordinate <clears throat> a lot of yeah. times, I find. But, you know, there's still the core group of people that get together and play and have fun and stuff. But, yeah, playing online with friends is, is really just one of the most greatest things. I, I mean, I will say, Pete, <clears throat> that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice here. I will tell you, every Thanksgiving night, I'm hosting Hydro Thunder Hurricane Night every Thanksgiving night. You eat your turkey, you eat your rolls, your mashed potatoes, you know, you load up, you have your Martinelli's, apple cider, but then you get your ass on Xbox and you come play with me in the community. We started this last year. Every year. Hydro Thunder. Hydro Thunder Hurricane Man. on 360. When I went back to that a couple of months ago, that game is harder than I remember trying to use that Rad Hazard. Dude, you and the I Rad was Hazard my though. By the AI, the AI oh, really? is brutal in that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I just lost my touch. He's got to get in there and practice some more. That's all it is. The Rad Hazard yeah. pisses me off though because that is supposed to be in the air all times. Well, the, it's not a good. fucking boat racing game. <laughs> it's, like a, it's a boat racing game, Pete. No, I can't talk shit because it's the same way it plays in um, Excite Truck and Excite Bots. You play it's, the game right if you're in the air most of the time. It's got a high skill. It's a high risk, high reward kind of game. It's true. Boat. It's true. But you were good with that. I used to whip my ass with a rat hazard. I yeah, mean, I was, I was a good couple times. <laughs> yeah. It's a good game. I just done Hurricane. It is on Xbox One now, though. You can. Yeah, it is backwards cool. compatible. Backwards compatible. Yes, sir. And hopefully on Series X it will be as well, so we can still play it. Dude, maybe I, they'll uh, do something new with that series. Some, even if they'd have to hand it off, so uh, give it into some new hands. I hope so. It's a good series. Classic. Um, one last thing I want to talk about here. Um, I didn't really want to bring up a whole bunch of like gaming news and stuff like I usually talk about because I want to just hang with you. But I did want to talk about one piece of news that came out this week because I want to get your opinion on it <clears throat> so we can talk about this. So as you saw, Sega brought out and is introducing the Game Gear Mini. Four handhelds, four different handhelds, four different colors, each containing four different games. That's to everyone who's listening who may not have heard this yet. So Pete... I'll give you my thoughts after, but what are your thoughts about this? What do you think about this? When I first saw the trailer, I, I had a hard time figuring out if it was like just a joke or if they were serious about it. But then once reality set it and I'm like, oh, they're actually serious about this. I'm like, it was very obvious to me that they are preying upon collectors. Yep. This collector mindset where like they see that people are buying multiples of games. People are buying like these limited 
sets of games. They're double dipping. I think it's Sega's attempt at testing the waters of how many times will people buy this essentially the same product that we could make into one product for 50 bucks. But, you know, we're going to we're going to make it so that they buy it four times because they know darn well that Sega fans, somebody that would plan on buying it once will buy it four times because yep. they're a Sega fan. They want the full, they made a collector's edition set where you get all four and a little briefcase and you get little pins of all the games. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is kind of messed up in a way. Is it a cool collectible? Sure. But all they could have done was just made a game gear mini dumped, you know, 40, 50 games on there, charge a hundred bucks for it. Right. Maybe not make it 50. You know, you want to make it fi- 79.99. Perfect price. Yep. There you go. I I'm not a fan of, of, the marketing for this thing is it cool i, li- I think it's cute i, I actually because I, I like the game boy advance micro i think this game gear i like the design yeah it's not practical it's it's really cute the screen is cute the idea of this little magnifying thing no not not a, not a fan of that that you're <laughs> not going to watch me i'm not i'm not going to be playing the goddamn thing with a giant magnifying box on top of it <laughs> but, but i like, actually I, own the, a real one of those by the way <laughs> for my like game gear game yeah. Game, oh, one of the Game Gear ones. The official stuff. Sega one, yeah. Yeah, I have it. The way I thought of it is if I'm going on like a trip somewhere, it's a lot easier to just take one of those Game Gear micros, throw it in my pocket than like to bring a Switch, right? So if I want to play like one of the RPGs or Sonics on the go, it's like, all right, grab the Game Gear micro. I got an hour to kill. We'll play it on the plane or in the train, wherever the heck I am. That is cool. Will I buy one? It depends what they're going to do for the US, what games are available on it. Um, Will I actually probably buy one? Probably not. It's not practical for me. If I want to play Game Gear, I've got a Mega SG with the Game Gear adapter where I can just play it right on my TV. I'm not going to... If I'm streaming it, I'm going to be streaming it that way. I'm not going to play yeah. on a little micro. So what are your thoughts on it? You you pretty much said exactly how I feel. Uh, yeah, you said, it, you said it best. But I think it's a collector piece designed specifically for collectors and collectors only. There's no practicality in this thing. I mean, you got sausage fingers. Good luck. You're not playing this thing. There's just good no luck, way. Gamester. Good luck, John. You're not you're not playing it. <laughs> you're gonna be hitting A and B at the same time the whole time. To be to be honest, the first time I saw it in the trailer and I saw the person holding it, I'm like, John is not playing that. Thing. <laughs> That's There's, what I said too. I said the same no shit. Way. I go, oh, he's not playing this. He's out. He he better go. He'd have better luck buying a new Pandora right now than <laughs> playing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was a, uh, I think it was a dirty move. I do. I mean, Sony, to put in perspective, Sony released the PS1 mini for a hundred bucks and it, it was shitty, you know, like it really was shitty. This is just kind of like, all right. I think there's a difference between releasing something to the collector's market with good intentions and releasing something that is very noticeably preying upon collector mindsets for like the benefit of just making them spend more money yeah yeah i I think sega kind of this was their this was their introduction to be like we're ready to bring back our old consoles in new ways like dreamcast mini right i'm sure that's coming in the future they've tainted the minds of so many collectors where they're probably not going to trust them entirely now dude is this a repeat of history holy shit is this like going to be like (laughs) are we going to see a game gear 32x adapter soon and and then what's frustrating and you just said it pete is that this was their opportunity to to come out strong and gain the trust. Dude, we all want something from Sega. How many years have we been saying this? We want something from Sega. 
Like, just, yeah, the Genesis is cool, but Genesis has been done to death. Yes, right? exactly. Like, we want to see the more obscure. We want the Sega Saturn stuff. We want the Dreamcast stuff. I know Saturn's got some logistics behind it. I understand, but they can still try still. and do something with Saturn. Yeah. Um, like they did with Panzer Dragoon Remake, which was a, a, a decent attempt at reviving that. Um, but we want to see the Dreamcast stuff, right? We want to see these things that have sort of been dormant in Sega's library for so long. And this is not a good start. Not a good start. Speaking of Dreamcast, real quick, I did, um, I backed uh, Retro Fighters uh, Striker DC controller, like, I don't know, a year ago. I don't even remember. And they finally shipped them out, and I got them a, a couple days ago. I don't know if you've seen those controllers. I meant to bring it in here to show you, but it's in the yeah, other room. I don't room. think I've seen those, actually. There's uh, so many new projects always being coming out on Kickstarter. It's hard to keep up with. It I, is. I've yeah. banned myself from Kickstarter, by the way. Like, I don't. Because I used to go on there, look at stuff. I'm like, ooh, oh, look at that tier. I want that collection. Oh, it'll get you. It'll get you. By the time it either A, never comes out, or B, comes out, I usually don't care about it anymore. So I'm like, I'm done. I'm done yeah. with Kickstarter. No, it's smart. It's a smart way to look at it. Again, you know, like they say, Kickstarter is not a store. It's up to them to fulfill it. And there's there's much more being burnt on there than actually uh, coming out. So, yeah, it's understandable. But, uh, but anyway, the controllers, I... Luckily, I got it, and uh, they're fantastic. They're so great to have a, an actual, like, real, like, modern grip and proper oh, joystick. Right. I, I remember seeing that now. Yeah, that yeah. looked really. I got to get myself one of those. Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be the ultimate way to play. So I can't wait to. Well, I was going to do a little unboxing or something. I don't know. I was going to play some. It's good. It's good. I got to so get myself out. a good, good HDMI mod on my. Once I get my HDMI mod on my Dreamcast, get one of those controllers. I'm going to be playing Dreamcast like mad. Yeah. Let me know which one you go with because I'm looking at a bunch too and I'm like uh, I don't know. The D, the DC HDMI or they recently changed the name to something else but the one that's like built into the board is apparently the one to go with. It's pricey. Yeah. But that's the one to go that's, with. That's the real way to go to get the true video signal out of it from what I understand. I know they make I'm cables a, and stuff but uh, I had the pound cable and that thing is like incompatible with certain games and they look really muddy and washed out compared to like a an inboard mod. Okay. Damn. Like I did my research. I asked some people that were very knowledgeable on the subject. They're like, yes, if you want the best output for the Dreamcast, you want that DC HDMI soldered in there mod. But you're looking at like, you know, a couple hundred, few yeah. hundred bucks for that. Definitely. Yeah. It's up there. I feel like it'd be worth it though. So many great Dreamcast games. About. Yeah, definitely. Something to think about. Well, Pete, this has been just, honestly, dude, it just feels like I'm hanging out with my best friend, just chatting, just having a it, good time. It feels like no time has passed. No time. Much, you know, feels like we just got done recording an episode of a podcast, you know, a week ago, and here we are again. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. You know, it's, it's not the whole crew, and for I'm sure people out there wondering, like, oh, what about that certain podcast that starts with an A? Well, <laughs> we'll see what the future holds, right? Like, we're all still in contact with one another. It's just the time... Whenever the time feels right, you know, you never know what yeah. the future holds. Yeah, you never know. It's always good just to keep everything open on the table and discussions on the table. You know what I mean? So, like, we just talk about it and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I think, um, why don't, you know what? <laughs> I feel weird doing this. <laughs> Pete, why don't you go ahead and give yourself a few plugs and let people know where they can find you? <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like everyone knows, but hey, but honestly, I have to respect people who who come through and are new. You know what I mean? So well, you've got you've got your own community going, right? Like you've been fostering a community here I, over the years. Oh, absolutely. Through the Heine House brand that yeah. you know, yeah. you can't expect everybody to be familiar with all the gamers from the past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty much, I just the main place to find me is on Twitch because I stream on there pretty much every night. So I use Pete Door across pretty much everything. So Twitter, Twitch. So Pete door with two r's one o d o r r i started uploading to youtube again recently as well it's been three weeks and i've uploaded a video each week which is like a big deal for me on youtube yeah welcome to 2011 here (laughs) yeah i was very inconsistent with uploading to there for a long time but yeah if you ever want to hang out chat reminisce about all gen gamers whatever um you'll find me on twitch pretty much on there every night most of the time awesome awesome well, I don't know how to wrap it up. Just like every other every other time, this has been great. I just appreciate you spending time with me today, hanging out, chatting, and um, yeah, let's uh, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, I appreciate it. it. Was a lot of fun, and hopefully, hopefully the the listeners had a fun time, sort of uh, maybe unearthing some memories uh, that they kind of forgot about with all gen gamers. I think so. I th- I think a lot of people we'll be looking forward to hearing this and, and having those memories come back and <clears throat> also taking a look back in this last decade. It was definitely a crazy time. It was kind of cool to go back and kind of do an overview of it. A lot of stuff happened, you know, I can't imagine what the next 10 years are going to bring for gaming. I honestly don't even know. Like if you were to say like predict what you think, like how do you even, how do you even predict, man? I don't know. It's crazy. The only way I can see it going is, you know, Sony and Microsoft partnering up and deciding, yeah, we're going to work together and release one game console. And Boy, that would be wild, wouldn't wow. it? Wow, wow. Sony and Microsoft partnering? Yeah, think about it. How many, fa- <laughs> How many fanboys would stop playing games? Man, the fanboys wouldn't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. What would they do? They'd just be like, well, I guess I'm done being a gamer today. who knows man who knows (laughs) it's like you think about vr vr today it's like man how who could have ever thought we'd be here now 10 years ago that's it's wild yeah yeah it's right i mean you wouldn't think when we started the virtual boy putting masks on you know that we'd actually still be here today and that it's still evolving and it's actually really good now really good i remember john carmack um you know creator of id and and wolfenstein and doom and all those great games I remember in, I think it was like 2009 or 2010, he had made this like mask. It's like this crazy, like basement janky zip tie duct tape, like goggle mask with like scroll, like two cell phone screens or something that he took apart. And like, you know, he's, he's a crazy madman. He's a scientist. Right. And he had this mask and he was at some convention. I don't know if it was E3 or PAX or he was somewhere. The video is on YouTube and he had this and he's like having people come over and like, it was a real legit setup. Like it was like 1080p, 60 frames. The field of view was like perfect. And he I was like, that, yeah. yeah. And he goes, look, I made this in my basement. This is what it could be. This is what it could be. And this is where it's going. He goes, but we're like, I think he said something like six or seven years away from it or something like that. And my God, was he right? Was he right? Yeah. This was back in the day. Like the man's a genius. And I just remember seeing that going, Hmm. I wonder if he's right. Well, sure shit, you know? But yeah, that's a crazy video. 
But I love VR. I want to get, I'd really want to get one for my PC, but man, let me just tell you, take a loan out on, the, on the house. Intense. Fuck. I mean, a thousand bucks for the Valve Index. Well, look at TVs, right? TVs come down in price. Uh, eventually, PC VR will come down yeah. to very affordable prices, hopefully. Yeah, very true. Very true. All right, let's wrap it up. Pete, you're the man. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll uh, catch you later. I'm going to put up my slide here. There it goes. Boom. All right, thanks. Uh, all right, thanks. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye now.